Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. On the pod today, we're joined by senior contributor Dylan Christine. How are you doing today, Dylan? I'm good. Thanks, Nathan. And Democratic candidate for Virginia's 58th district, Kellen Squire. Hey, Kellen. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. We're really excited to have you. We know your election is coming up very quickly. So let's just go ahead and and dive right in. I would love it if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background and the district that you're currently running in. Sure. Well, I'm an emergency department nurse by trade. I've been an emergency department nurse, uh, I don't know, six or seven years now. Before that, uh, I worked in pediatric acute and intensive care. Spent time as an elementary school nurse, as a as a nurse at the UVA Student Health Center, um, and uh, graduate of the University of Virginia School of Nursing. I've got uh, three beautiful kids and an, an incredibly understanding wife, especially considering all the jazz that I've had to go through with this. Um, the district is very uh, interesting. It is geographically one of the bigger ones in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's pretty maliciously gerrymandered. It runs from about a mile or two from the JMU campus in Harrisonburg, all the way to the James River in Fluvanna County, uh, uh, very neatly missing the cities of Charlottesville and Harrisonburg, certainly by design. It, it, uh, the last time it was challenged, I believe, was in 2009, uh, and that was even when the district was bluer uh, than it is now. Subsequently to that, they redrew it to make it a little redder because it was trending a direction that they didn't want it to. So, so, so when you say it was last challenged in 2009, that means that it's been in Republican control and no one has opposed the incumbent since 2009. Is that correct? Yes. And for those of us who are a little fuzzy on Virginia geography, is it central Virginia? Yes, it, it wraps very neatly. Like I said, it's centered on the city of Charlottesville, but it, again, wraps around it without touching it at any point. So it's pretty smack dab in the middle of the state. So, Kellen, we're dying to know what made you run this year. Hasn't been an eventful few months, right? Yeah, especially the last few months. You know, there was a list of things that I had planned for uh, coming up that I would have to, you know, trouble spots or things that can't, but Nazis, like real life swastika and Nazis was not something that I had ever planned for in this political run. So that was certainly uh, interesting. But um, I don't know, you know, there's a number of reasons why I decided to do what I'm doing. But, uh, you know, um, I think that I, I finally decided that the sort of slacktivism that I'd been engaging in, I'd have been one of those jerks that was like, um, so the last time I think I voted for a Republican, for instance, for the purpose of uh, electing one was probably 2004. I mean, I voted for John Kasich last spring, but that was in a desperate attempt to stop Donald Trump. Um, but even even though I said and I worked for Obama for America in 2008, but even like uh, as like 12 months ago, if you had come up to me and called me a Democrat, I would have been like, oh, I'm an independent voter. How dare you? You know. And I was one of those people that was like, uh, you know, both sides are bad or just content to armchair quarterback uh, about things. And I think that what happened last November 7th was a wake up call in a big way. Uh, you know, it, 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 I spent a couple of weeks in a funk. Like, I, I think I spent most of the two weeks after the election on prepper websites like, uh, you, know, you know, just to, like I'm going to hunker down and, and make it through this. But I got to thinking, you know, is that really? You know, not everybody has the opportunity to do that. Uh, I, I can admit that I'm pretty privileged. I'm white, male, Christian, heterosexual, right? I don't have, I mean, I could probably do that, hunker down and ride out, because whatever Mr. Trump's going to do. Uh, uh, You're not exactly it, his target audience. Yeah, exactly. Other than 
other than being an emergency department nurse and sort of being, because Mr. Trump, amongst other people, uh, like most Republicans, their answer for the health care crisis is, you know, I just go to the emergency department, right? So that does, that was part of what prompted me because I was sick and tired of being a solution instead of the safety net that we were supposed to be. But it was really a combination of that. And like I said, realizing that not everybody uh, that was, was going to be able to ride out like I was, and was I going to tell my kids when the time came, you know, hey, I had the chance to do something about this, but uh, I guess I was too cowardly and sat it out. So I thought, well, I can bellyache about it or stand up and do something about it. And here I am now. Well, I think we, we certainly admire you standing up. Um, I want to dive a little bit deeper into something that you just said. You know, 12 months ago, if someone had asked you if you were a Democrat, you probably wouldn't have labeled yourself as such. Um, I guess I'm curious, you know, what changed? And, and do you still find that Democrat is a dirty word out in rural Virginia? Well, kind of. So what changed was, and I'll tell you, I was really, when I first decided to uh, jump off the cliff and do this run, uh, I was like, well, I don't know, if, are, are the Democrats going to accept me? I mean, again, I'd, I'd worked for OFA. Um, I actually worked, uh, helped elect Senate. It was Senator Deeds when he was running for governor here in Virginia in the primary. I mean, so, but still, um, I made the cardinal sin of associating sort of the National Democratic Party with the local folks. And what I've come to learn and appreciate and cherish, really, is that Democrats are, you can't, there's no one label like you can say that, and um, but they're different everywhere. Like even even just like in different parts of my district, which it's really um, was sobering for me because I, I mean I can fully admit I for too long I associated that with like the national party and the dysfunction there, and the people here are nothing like that. They you know uh, they're vibrant and they're full of life, especially like I said uh, now in the wake of. I'm sorry it took Donald Trump for it to wake up uh, most of us. Um, but it's just a world of difference, and, and these are just... So I felt I feel real bad about sort of taking a national association way back then. I'm, I'm more than proud to call myself a Democrat now because it means what we've built it to mean in our community here, and, and if I had to take a lesson to, like, the 48 other states that are going to have state legislature races next year, uh, along with every congressional district, it's that... We've got to run, you know, candidates that are attuned to what's going on in their communities, and they need to run as being from their communities. There, there's no one single slate or things like that. And I think that it was losing sight of that local focus uh, that brought Democrats to where we are now. If you took a look, you know, the Republicans figured that out. Uh, after President Obama got elected, they figured out they were in serious trouble unless they did exactly that. And I think we have a winning message because they don't have one. The only message that they have in the era of Donald Trump is stick it to the liberals, right? Or Obama in particular, like sticking it, just doing whatever whatever Obama did, you do the opposite. There's no policy that they have or anything positive to offer for a vision. And we can offer that. And I think we should. And I said, just it takes doing that, being tied to your local community, and we can have a lot of success. So I want to go back to the idea a little bit that you had talked about, about sort of the polarization of the parties at the national level. Obviously, you know that I wrote an article about you for the website, and um, one of the things that we had gone back and forth about a lot, and unfortunately, I couldn't put it all in the piece, was um, your views about being either pro-choice or pro-life. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of room to sort of talk through some of the nuances of your position, because like I said, I wasn't able to put them all in the piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, as far as the nuances of my actual position go, like I said, it's uh, I, I'm I'm pro pro choice as far as that goes because, and I mean, I've seen, unfortunately, in the emergency department, I've seen the axiom of making abortion illegal only makes safe abortion illegal. I mean, I've because I've even seen liberals. Uh, like people that would be very much, you know, consider themselves pro-choice, maybe even rabidly so. And I've said that, and they're like, yeah, right, abortion is legal. How can you even say that? But trap laws exist for a reason. Trap is targeted regulation for abortion providers. I mean, they're there as a, as a backdoor way to kneecap, you know, that, and to you know, force women, like either to shame them or force them into situations that I, I really... Unfortunately, I can't talk about a couple of instances that I saw because of HIPAA and things like that. But, you know, I'll admit that, um, you know, I've, like I said, I've never wanted abortion to be illegal, certainly, or anything. But there was a time when I was like, is this really this big a deal? And then I, it took working in the emergency department and seeing some of this stuff firsthand to go, yes. Yes, it is a big deal. And, uh, you know, the Republicans, especially like in my community, I tell you a story on primary day. We didn't have a primary race, but... I visited every polling place in my district, and there's 24 of them, and it took all day to do it. It took like 12, 13 hours to get, I think it was like 240 miles I had to drive from one side of the district to the other. But in Ruggersville, Virginia, I met a gentleman who I introduced myself to. I said, my name's Kellen Squire. I'm running as a Democrat. And he said, oh, he said, you're a baby killer. I was like, well, let's talk about that. And so we got to talk, and he's like, yeah, no, bro, abortion shouldn't be illegal. And I said, okay. And we got to talking more about it. He's like, birth control should really be free and over-the-counter. And I had to like, kind of squint and be like, where are we missing on this issue? I'm, I don't understand. Definitely. Definitely. So Definitely. you get down you, in communities like this when you talk to folks. You guys know what the onion is, right? Of course. We're their target demographic. Yeah. Sarcastic, cynic, you know, millennials. Perfect. So a few years ago, um, the onion had an article in it, and it was like, Planned Parenthood opens abortion plex, right? And it had like five stories and movie theaters and whatever. And if you take a look, like people, there are people out here that if they read that would believe that that is actually true. In fact, there was a sitting U.S. congressman that sent that out like with, with to like his, like his mail list and like, see, see, we told you. Uh, and, and I'm sure you'll be awful surprised to know he's actually working for the Trump administration right now, which just makes total sense. But um, that is literally what they have to build up the Democrats' position is being. That's what they have to label pro-choice as being. Because most of the people that I, like, the most of the actual people that I go out that call themselves, quote-unquote, pro-life, really feel like uh, birth control is just not a controversial thing. Uh, Dylan knows I have a cute video on my website about that. Um, but it's it's really not. People, people are about that. And most people, like I said, don't want to make abortion illegal. But it gets caught up in this, you know, I say it in, in, on my website, and Dylan called me out on it. I do say pro-choice or pro-life, which, but I'm really more sticking it. If you take a look, it makes sense. It's sort of a bless my heart way to uh, attack my uh, opponent, who is very much like, um, in the last debate we did, he was challenged on having voted for the transvaginal ultrasound law here in Virginia, and he was totally unapologetic about it. Um, and like earlier this year, he voted for this day of tears bill, and I went right after him, and I was like, how many abortions did you stop by this day of tears bill to just shame women? None, right? Which is true. So politicians like him are different than quote-unquote normal folks who would call themselves pro-life. And I think we need to, because there's a lot of them that are like 
80 to 90 to 100 percent what we would consider to be pro-choice. They've it's kind of like Obamacare was horrible and nobody liked it, but everybody liked the Affordable Care Act, right? The Republican Party has done an excellent job of weaponizing that term. I would really like to, because every time one of them calls themselves pro-life, I get I get like hot under the collar because there's nothing that's pro-life about most of what they like. Uh, you know, that that they want to do, and so you know, cutting health care is yes. pro life. Cutting education exactly. is pro life. Or maternity care, or yep. prime, you know, blah 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 blah. We can go on and on, but unfortunately, they've. It was actually the president of Planned Parenthood of Virginia that, because um, I was like, let me add him, let me add him. She's like, they've weaponized it. You're just gonna hit your head on a wall, uh, and and uh, you know, it sucks because it's almost like admitting defeat that way, but. I get where she she was right. I get where she's coming from. That's why, uh, you know, it just sucks because there are on a lot of these issues. That's why I say, you know, there are a lot of closet progressives out here, even in Trump country. They just you have to bring the issue to them. So they're not stupid. They're not stupid at all. I see that in the emergency department all the time. People that are like uh, college professors come in who don't know. You know, the first thing about XYZ, whatever, simple medical, it's not that they're stupid. They just don't have a frame of reference. You haven't built it, you know, presented to them in a way that they can relate to. So most of these progressive platforms, I said it's easy to do, um, being pro-choice, quote-unquote, would be among them. Or like uh, single-payer health care. I like to tell a story of, now, okay, I'll, I'll be fair, I'll be honest. So it's in Elkton, Virginia, and I saw a guy wearing a Confederate flag wife beater, and I was like, I got to talk to him. Definitely, it'll be a great story. So I, I sort of self-selected that one. But he turned out to be a mechanic, and I was chatting with him about single-payer, and he's like, you know, grumbling about taxes and the government and stuff like that. And I was like, well, listen here. I was like, what would you rather do, fix cars or choose what health insurance plan your employees get? I said, I would much rather just have you focus on fixing cars, right? And he's like, I never thought of it that way. Hmm. You know, and so that's just one example on a, on a number of issues where we can bring stuff like that to people and really connect with working class folks I think we lost touch with because I think they're on our sides. We just have to show them that. And it takes a lot of going out there and proving it, unfortunately. So speaking of healthcare, I feel like that's a nice little segue. I saw, I read, actually read one of the articles on your website and you went on quite a tweet storm about single payer healthcare and also called um, Ronald Reagan, ironically, a socialist, which I thought was pretty good. So I was just wondering if you could maybe go a little bit more in depth with your position on healthcare and maybe summarize the legislation that you had talked about in that tweet storm. Give us sort of like the Reader's Digest version. Well, so one of my good friends whose name is Lee Carter, he's running the 50th um, district, which is up in Northern Virginia. Um, you know, he wants to, he, he said, we should get together and do a thing where we all say we're in, in, fa- in favor of some sort of single player um, platform. I said, that sounds like a good idea. So I, I guess what I'm in favor of would be a sort of Medicare for all type where you can have a base where everybody can have a base level of insurance. You don't have to worry about that. If you, uh, you know, if you run Dylan's widget shop and you want to hire the best employees, you can offer better insurance on top of it, you know, so you can lure people in. But at least that everybody has a base level that covers screenings and primary care in particular, because as an emergency department nurse, you know, I love working in the emergency department, but we are the least efficient place to deliver care. And right now we actually have universal health care in the United States of America, which, which I said on that, which I... Uh, implied or I explained in that tweet storm. So universal health care in the United States is uh, brought to us by something called MTALA, which is the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, which, yes, 
was signed into law in 1986. Um, I said by that notorious socialist Ronald Reagan. Um, it used to be, so like when people come into my emergency department, they try and hand over their insurance cards, and I'll be like, I can't actually take that till the doctor sees you because we have to screen them by their medical condition, not their ability to pay, um, which is good because people were dying in the streets before that, and we don't want that. But the problem is it is probably the biggest unfunded mandate in the history of probably the world, I would imagine. It's probably cost trillions of dollars since then because, like I said, that's why if you go to the hospital now, you know, and you get a Tylenol, it's like $964, right? Well, the Tylenol didn't cost that, but you're paying for all the people that didn't or can't pay or whatever that is. And so, I mean, I had that happen myself. I had a CT scan in my belly because they thought I had appendicitis, and I wasn't real concerned about it because I knew what the self-pay rate for the hospital was. Uh, and lo and behold, I got a bill for 10 times that, and I called the insurance company. I said, what's the deal? And they effectively said, well, you have good insurance, so we jacked the price up as far as we could. Uh, which is one reason when people talk about, like, Republicans all like to like to talk about the market, like the market will fix everything. But, like, I, we don't really know what the CT scan costs. What, what does it actually cost? So if you don't, if you have an artificial uh, market like that, you well, can't. Well, it's not a true free market. Yeah, exactly. So you, I have no idea what it costs, so I can't. And, you know, if I go, if I'm in a car accident or I have acute appendicitis and I get rushed to the hospital, it's not like I'm going to be like, okay, well. Your rate's a little high. I'm going to go to, you know, across town to, you know, it doesn't work that way, right? So we're already paying for it, and we're paying more than any other country in the entire world. I think the next, I think it's like, what, 10 or 11, I have to look at my numbers, like 10 or $11,000 for every man, woman, and child in the United States. And I think that the next highest is like Switzerland at like 6500 but we're, we're paying the most. We're not getting as good outcomes. We're like, 20th or 30th in the world for outcomes and so we could be doing so much better with it and i think a good first step i could go on and on and keep you guys here about all my plans for healthcare that way but i said a good first step would be single payer because uh it actually sort of appeals uh i think as a libertarian sort of sense too because if we give you the how many times have you heard people say like uh oh i would i would I would quit this job or I would go and spend time with my kids or go back to school or open my own business, but I don't dare lose my health insurance because one catastrophe will be like, will ruin my family forever. I've heard that. I mean, I've lost count of how many times I've heard people say that. And so if ever- you're right, it absolutely could be a conservative argument in the sense that having the healthcare system that we do stifles the entrepreneurship exactly. of our citizens and the economy in turn. Um, no, it's a it's a really interesting point, and I I, I just want to say it's very interesting to hear um, you advocate for single payer, um, especially as someone who is in a more conservative area. Because typically, when you think about single payer and the advocates for it, you think of Bernie Sanders and his democratic mm-hmm. socialist and thick Brooklyn accent. <laughs> but it's really refreshing to to hear it come from you. Well, but it, and I think that's sort of. Um, strikes home at my point about there being a progressive revolution brewing out here, even in Trump country, because most of the people out here didn't vote for Donald Trump for any sort of, because Donald, let's be, let's face it, Donald Trump killed conservatism dead. I mean, for real, he put the nail. He's on not the, a conservative. Exactly. Not nothing, a conservative. There's nothing conservative about the man. And I think that the establishment folks in the Republican party are, you know, they're trying to, um, What's that? You seen that? What was that uh, cartoon with a dog sitting in the in the house on fire? Right. 
Um, this is fine. Yes. Everything is fine. That's exactly. Yeah. So that's what they're trying to do. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it, it is. It's hilarious. And that's what they're trying to do right now to save. Because people don't like conservatism. Maybe they might. They might, like. I could buy into a conservative argument if it was like a real one, like uh, ideologically. If it made sense. Cons- well, right. <laughs> if it was if it was ideologically consistent. But the problem is with most conservatives, you get they're they're what I like to call cafeteria conservatives, where they pick and choose when they want to apply it and when they don't, and what it is. And so, like, if you were like legitimate small government, blah blah blah, across the board, you know, at least I can respect your sort of. Uh, but very few of them are like that. It's like. In one area, they they don't want government, or they want to, you know, uh, uh, it's like uh, what's the what's the old ditty? It is socialize the losses and privatize the gains, sort of a thing um, that you find with a lot of them. And so, like I said, Donald Trump is not conservative at all, and those people didn't vote for him because of that. They voted for him because they viewed it. Most of the people I talked to viewed it as an equal middle finger to the Republican Party, if not more so than the Democratic Party, right? Um, and, and they're really in tune with, I mean, some, what was it? Ivanka care. Ivanka care was the child care thing. It was that they, the Trump campaign even scored as costing more than Obamacare did. And he's, I know that they were like, well, we'll just pay for it by cutting waste and inefficiency. Right. But even so, like I said, it's like a 900 billion or trillion dollar proposal. And I didn't hear a wink out of the Republican party about it. Right. And, you know, when people were cheering that, that voted for Donald Trump, again, it wasn't about conservatism. It's about, I mean, it, I think the PCCC did some polling, exit polling of the last election, and, like, most of these progressive things that we, uh, we talk about, that we want to fight for, have wide bipartisan uh, support from both Trump and Clinton voters, like, across the board. Some of them, like, 70 80% approval overall. And so, like I said, it's just, it's really connecting with people. The sort of left-right, um, you know, way that politics has been, I think, is, is has been upended, and we're not done with it being upended. Um, and, and like I said, that's why I advocate pretty vociferously to go out and fight for these uh, progressive values unapologetically, because people uh, people will buy into them. People like them. That's how they want things structured. You just have to relate it to their life. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that you think there's a progressive revolution brewing in Trump country. I'm really optimistic to hear that. Um, But I do want to, a lot of progressivism, especially um, I'm based in New York and around here, it's around social issues, social justice, racial justice. Um, And I'm a big fan of history. Um, I've been told that uh, Thomas Jefferson's estate of Monticello is actually in your district along with a, a Trump winery, yeah, yeah, um, right. oddly no, enough. Um, but I, I'm curious what your take is on Thomas Jefferson and the other founding fathers' legacies in light of the Confederate uh, monument debate um, and the racial tensions that we're kind of seeing simmer across the country today. So as far as the monuments go, and I, got, I get, in fact, um, so well, my opponent canceled any more debates that we had um after we had our first one i think he decided it was not in his best interests unfortunately to have anymore um but we have every forum we've been at and every like every interview i've had to do and there's a couple more coming up and everyone asks about the monuments here and my general my answer is you know the locality should decide if charlottesville wants to take them down by god let them because most of those monuments were put up 
um, in you know the Jim Crow era, and so the the thought that they are just for history is a little cute. Uh, that insofar as that goes, um, you know, I understand that the ones in Charlottesville were put up near a historically black community. Although I was scolded uh, by somebody who apparently knows nineteen teens uh, geography of Charlottesville better than I did. They're like, I wasn't that near it, and so I don't. I guess I don't. Again, I don't know it. But regardless of you know, if you want to debate the vagarities of it like that, it was put up in sort of the Jim Crow era and presents sort of an idealized you know version of. And I get. People don't want to believe, you know, they don't want to associate the worst of our history with, you know, their heroes or their family members. They don't want to think that. Uh, it, it is a muddled issue as far as that goes in this part of the country. People have pretty strong opinions about it. But I think in, at the base essence for me, if Charlottesville wants to take them down, by God, let them do it. If Lynchburg doesn't, then whatever. Uh, you know, they need to do what's right for that community there. Um, and, yeah. Like I said, with social issues and stuff too, you know, um, we, uh, you know, I, I guess to be fair to the way that they drew the 58th district is pretty. Um, uh, let's see, I think it's like 83 or 87 percent white. So I mean, obviously, I miss out on a lot of that. Um, although I've been asked, like, uh, I've been asked how I feel about Black Lives Matter, and I always say, for instance, on that, it's like I don't. There's, there's so many people that hear an invisible only at the beginning of that sentence, right? Which is just not how it is. And we're actually relatively lucky in our community. The police do a relatively good job of, uh, of getting in and, like, not just going to arrest people. We have a pretty good, not in the 58th district, but just right outside, there's some, like, uh, largely Hispanic, probably with a lot of illegal immigrant communities, and they do a pretty good job of, you know, we're not a sanctuary city or whatever, but... Um, they do a good job of building rapport with those, and, you know, um, the law enforcement officials, for instance, I've talked to are pretty skeptical about, like, uh, doing the federal government's work. That's a sort of another unfunded mandate. It's like, here, you guys do our job for you. We're not going to pay you or train you or give you equipment, but do our job for it. And so, um, like I said, to be fair, I don't have to wade into those things, but they are, those are all important issues. When we talk about progressivism, you're right, we, you know, I'm able, I'm lucky enough that I'm able to focus mostly on the economic aspect of it, but so when I get to Richmond, there's going to be some pretty um, hefty decisions in that way. And, you know, like I said, even, I guess, uh, being in a quote-unquote safe area when I have to talk about it as much means that I probably have more of a responsibility to pay attention and weigh in on some of that stuff because of that. As, and as... Oh, I was going to say, if, if you want me to weigh in on TJ, I can do that, too. Yeah, let's hear it. Oh, well, it's said. So, and as, as and, and Dylan kind of mentioned this, because uh, I did a Reddit AMA way back when, and somebody asked me how I would uphold Thomas Jefferson's legacy, and I was uh, a graduate, I'm a graduate of Mr. Jefferson's University, and anybody that's a UVA grad, that's what we, you know, they say, it's like we call it the lawn instead of the quad and stuff like that, and it makes people roll their eyes, but... <laughs> We, uh, you know, we're very serious about that, and and he was a great man. He was, you know, he, but like I said, he 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 had no problem with writing all men are created equal. Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal, and actually, pretty vociferously advocating for stronger anti-slavery language in the Constitution. However, he owned slaves his whole life. Uh, I mean, he, he sexually assaulted some of them, right? And so it's like I said. It, it's similar to the uh, the monument issue, although 
Well, we have statues of Thomas Jefferson up. I mean, I think that's more of a legitimate history of the United States. That's not. But we need to. You need to understand that. That's why I said uh, about Thomas Jefferson. When you when he, you know any understanding of him has to be the whole picture, right? Because and you know any of our heroes and and I, you know any politician or anybody that wants to lead us or something, we have to keep that in mind. That you know as great as they every. What is what's the old saying? It's every sinner has a future and every saint has a past, right? And it's very true, and you need to keep that in mind because anytime we sort of whitewash those issues or pretend like they didn't exist, you know, if you if you forget history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? So, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about uh, like I can admire Tom and uh, what he did for the university and things like that, uh, but I'll never forget the bad stuff either, and and you they got to go hand in hand with each other. I feel like in internet speak, he's like your problematic fave, which his neighbor, James <laughs> Madison is my problematic fave. So I understand. Um, I so you. you've been really generous with your time and we really appreciate it. Both um, last few weeks answering my questions and then coming on the pod. So we have one more question for you. I think it's maybe the most important one. So we've seen your beautiful family online. So, but we need to know, what is your favorite dad joke? Um, well, I said one today when actually just, uh, uh, I don't know, probably about 20, 30 minutes before I came on here is my four-year-old said, Dad, I'm hungry. I said, I hungry. I'm dad. How are you? Oh, my God. That's my so that's always favorite, a good... too. <laughs> yeah. Classic. That's always one of my standbys. <laughs> but, yeah, it's pretty. Um, uh, I also like to uh, work in 80s quotes or, like, from, from songs. I think that uh, I just got to do Take On Me earlier. Um, I forget what prompted that, but but I, I got to hum it, and it was pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, you know, I just... All you have to do is say those words, and, you know, the tune just comes right, right to mind. That's right, exactly. So. All right, thanks again for, for joining us, Kellen. Um, if folks want to get involved with the last couple of weeks of your campaign and learn more about you, how can they find you online? Well, we're at uh, squireforyou.com, which is all spelled out in lowercase, S-Q-U-I-R-E-F-O-R-Y-O-U.com. And that's our Twitter and Facebook handles too. And yet we, you know, um, we've actually, I said, volunteers are what, I mean, we, we've organized, this campaign is, nothing's been done like it in Central Virginia before. We have, uh, I think over, yeah, we're like all, almost 2,100 unique donors, not donations, unique donors. It's been coming 10, 20, $50 at a time uh, that built us. We have a, a, we have a more, he- we have a heftier campaign structure for volunteers than even the Northam campaign does in this part of Virginia, which again is unheard of. We have outdone the Obama 8 and 12 metrics by far in our district. I mean, I'm lucky that Charlottesville, as far as that goes, I'm lucky that Charlottesville City's not in it because that makes it easier to meet those benchmarks. But nonetheless, um, it's been volunteers that have built us and give us strength. And if you want, I mean, even if you're not in the 58th district, we have people come down from Northern Virginia, knock doors, or people... uh, make phone calls or write postcards from all over the world. So if you want to do that, by golly, just go on the website and we can get you set up. Awesome. Thanks for that. And, and Kellen, best of luck on Election Day. We uh, hope to have you back many times in the future as an elected representative. That sounds great, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Again, my name is Nathan Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan H. Rubin. Dylan, senior contributor, can be found at Dylan Without Bob on Instagram. And that's all we got for today. Thanks for listening.